He is gone from Aaliyah, the womb of heaven. Holy, holy, holy. Fire, sand, leagues confront our Lord. He can see, without eyes, a demon among him. Holy, holy, holy. Equation. He solved for martyrdom. The moon falls down. Songs of Muhadib. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. Whether you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, um, Evan, we got a new submission. And uh, you know how like you can go to the website and like say hi, how's, how's it going? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you can go to uh, readingdune.gmail.com. Oh, no, that's our email. You can go to readingdune.com. There we go. Readingdune.com. Yeah, we have a message from Brandon Mata. He says, when will the Stay Spicy Hats restocks? I need one. Oh, so, that's my fault. Are, are they up? Do we have them? Is it there? They're, they are. I can put them back up. I just haven't put them back up. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you, Brandon. Good looks. Yeah, we. Uh, I also got another submission from um, Aaron Wong. He says, "I love your podcast. You guys make me laugh with the blah 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 blah, <laughs> and just the general casual air to the conversation between both of you." However, I do have a bone to pick with Caleb. Why do you pronounce it Muhadib? Why? Why? Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's sorry about it. I'm I've gone this far. He can't I stop. I can change it. That's the thing. He can't stop at this well, point. I was I was listening to some of our old episodes. I was listening to like the end of uh end of Dune, the last chapter. Yeah. And I I'm still mispronouncing things left and right. It was Chani <laughs> and Chani and Aaliyah and uh, Aaliyah. Alia. Alia. Yeah. See, I'm you know, I don't know. I am not the 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 Dune expert. I'm your Dune companion guy. There's a there's a difference. <laughs> Yeah. We're here to have a good time. I don't know necessarily the right time. Right, right. We're doing our best over here is what here, is all we can promise. We're here to make you think. Maybe. <laughs> so hey, here we go. Um Evan, you want to give a little like last time on reading Dune? The last last thing oh, you yeah. remember. Well, the last as far the... as far back as you as you want to like give the story. Oh gosh. The important parts. The important parts, okay, of Dune Messiah, of all yeah. of Dune Messiah? Uh, just whenever the first thing that pops in your head and then just kind of like give me a little review. Well, there was a conspiracy afoot and uh, some people were trying to mess with Paul, kill Paul, do something to Paul. And there's a bunch of stuff that unfolded. I feel like it just changed though mm. i feel like the whole thing just like 
changed completely in this last chapter that we read, which okay. is where um, the stone stone burner, yeah, uh, goes off in Boom. in uh, Ericine and Paul and a bunch of other people lose their eyeballs because of it, right? And it was like a like it was a conspiracy, but like there's now they're trying to figure out who the conspirators were or whatever, or like who actually was responsible for setting off the stone burner in the first place. Um, and Paul this whole time has just known what was happening, right? Like we didn't necessarily know he knew was what was about to happen. Um, and I don't know, like when it was the conspiracy with, um, Edric, right? Mm-hmm. The blub blub and Saitail, right. uh, who's now I'm assuming still in prison, and Irlan, who who knows where she's at, um, and the Reverend Mother, who also is still in prison. Like they're all they all like seem to have fizzled out of the story. At least like where I'm sitting right now. I don't know if they're gonna come back or not. What is you know? I don't know anything. Um, but now it's become this new thing so anyway stone burner goes off everybody loses their eyeballs including paul and now paul is just like following the path of the future that he has seen and decided is the right future to follow and that makes him even more special somehow like i thought about this i'm rambling at this point but it's great that's my job usually but yeah he is finally actually choosing what the future is going to be like it's it's actually his choice now right because he has to follow he like chose which of the futures he was going to continue to follow and now he just his job is to follow it right yeah so yeah he's just got his part to play now he set all the dominoes up and now he's just in each domino as it falls the present that was really good that was, that was awesome Thanks. in this um you had a good thing you're talking about the bomb going off the stone burner and paul was like we need to figure out who set it off in this chapter evan do we find out who sets the bomb off bump, bump, kind bump. of i mean Ooh. we know that it's it's fremen conspirators right Mm-hmm. Kind of. I mean, we get. If you're, I will. I'm always like afraid of giving spoilers to the chapter at the beginning of the. This whole show is spoilers, so I need to <laughs> re- remind myself of that every single time. You're the only one who hasn't read it at this right. point, but along with everybody who's listening along with you. Corba, yeah. Corba is on trial in this in this chapter, and they're basically like, bro we know you were up to something or at least, you know, the people that were up to something or they were like tricking Corba into like giving away who he knew was in charge of X, Y, Z, like that kind of thing. So it's people it's, it's, it's Fremen unless I read incorrectly, but yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 We're going to, we're going to get into all of that. And that's, I guess the question I want at the forefront of our minds is like, where the bomb come from? Um, who set it off? What was the bomb's purpose? Also, 
Because remember, B-Jazz also know this is going to happen. Right. Which is also kind of weird. So, And the last thing Muhadib said in the last chapter is like, we need to figure out who did this. Mm -hmm. So now seven days have passed since the explosion at Othheim's house or where, you know, there's now a crater where Othheim's house was. And we're back in the keep. And everything has been unnaturally quiet for the last week. Everyone's speaking in low whispers. Everyone's heads down. It's really somber, the attitude, because they've had just a big event, right? They've had a terrorist attack pretty much happen all yeah. in Arakeen. Yeah. The whole atmosphere of the place is now reflecting what has still happened with the stone burner. Talk floats from person to person in quiet murmurs. He said that the fire had blue-green in it and smelled of hell. Some of the men are saying they'd rather commit suicide than take Tleilaxu eyes. Muhadib passed me and called me by name. <laughs> How does he see without eyes? The people are leaving. There's great fear. The Naibs say they'll go to Siech Makab for the, great, for the Grand Council. What have they done with the Panergeist? I saw them take Korba into a chamber where the Naibs are meeting as a prisoner. Bump, bump, bump. That's our little backdrop of what the people are talking about. Yeah. And then we cut to Johnny and Paul's bedchamber where they're, I imagine, sleeping peacefully. Except, well, one of them is. Because um, this is weird. Johnny wakes up. And she's just pretty much awakened by how quiet everything is. She yeah. turns over and sees Paul sitting beside her, his eyeless sockets aimed at some formless place beyond the far wall of their bedchamber. Okay, okay. Question, I have to ask it. Yeah. If Paul doesn't snore, how does she know that if Paul's asleep or not? I want to tell me that's not a good question. <laughs> I want to say his breathing still changes. Right. Maybe he's just like laying there, and then he's like, "Good morning," you know, like <laughs> just, just awkward. Just like the head slowly turns towards right. her. The eyeless sockets are just there. <laughs> Holes. Ah. Creepy. So she like. Sees him staring off in the distance and is immediately hit by like ravenous hunger, right? Because the whatever's inside of her is taking needs so much sustenance and is growing yeah. so fast, right? So she quickly gets up, eats the spice bread, eats the cheese that was placed specifically there for her for this right. moment. Paul then speaks, Beloved, there is no way to spare you this, believe me. Which I feel like this is just like also. And the continuing of a conversation that they've been having for the last week, like yeah. fighting wise, You're just like, really? And he's like, this is the only way. And she's like, and you saw this the whole time. And right. But you had to the, keep me in the dark this, this whole time. Whole like, time. Yeah. Yeah. They're having marital disputes. Um, and Johnny still feels uncomfortable knowing that Paul's eye sockets are just staring at her. <laughs> he, uh, he'd, she'd given up trying to explain everything to him, right? Um, he'd also refused the Tleilaxu eyes, but insisted on, uh, he paid for everybody else to have them. 
Right. So once she finished eating and she feels good, she slips out of bed. She looks back at Paul. He appears gloomy, remote, his dark hair just standing on end. Grim lines framed his mouth. No matter how much he slept, it never changed. He just, I don't want to say he looks human. He just looks, I guess, otherworldly, just like a ghost. Yeah. Of his, probably his former self. Yeah, of his former self. Haggard, yeah, yeah. Johnny had to force herself to look away, whispering to herself, my love, my love. He leans over and pulls her back onto the bed and kisses her cheek. Soon we'll go back to our desert. Only a few things remain to be done here. She trembled at the finality in his voice. He hugged her tighter. She put a palm against his chest and counted his heartbeats. His heart, she knew, was still deeply in love with uh, him. He loved her. She loved him. It's still all, that part is good. That's the only thing is solid. Everything else is final and, and ominous and weird, but that, that's still good. Paul then says, I promise you a thing, beloved. A child of ours will rule such an empire that mine will fade in comparison. Such achievements of living and art and sublime. Johnny cuts him off, fighting a dry sob. We're here and now, and I feel like we have so little time. Paul says that they have eternity together. Johnny says, well, maybe Paul has eternity, but all she has is here and now. Which, of course, Paul says, yes, but this is eternity. Okay, which, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I had, an- had another thought, which was like, you know how like all the way up until this book, there were all we were reading all these quotes from, from Wadib, mm-hmm. and they were all like grandiose and fantastical and like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's them. starting to talk. Oh, yeah, you read, you read them too. <laughs> um, now he's starting to talk like that all the time because yes. of this like place that he's in. So I'm thinking, like, did all of those quotes come from like after mm. this happened to him, where he's just like literally just sits there and imparts wisdom? You know? Yeah, I'm. I like that thought. Uh, I, there is part of that aspect of like when they're quoting Muhadib when he's talking publicly, it's this public figure that just yeah. spews out wisdom. Now he can't help. He's just in this space. Like right. when Paul says like he is in eternity, right? He sees everything. He's in it. Yeah. Being alive, knowing what's and also dead. So it's like, yeah, he's in this weird state and yeah, he's talking super all vague and like he can yeah, he sees different things. Yeah. Johnny presses up close to him. This added pressure causes the life in her womb to kick and move. Paul put a hand on Johnny's abdomen saying, "Ah, little ruler of the universe, wait your time. This moment is mine." This is where the funny part comes. Johnny had always wondered why Paul spoke of the life within her as singular. Surely he has to know. He knows everything. She's carrying twins. She bum, thought bum. about she thought about saying something, but like, surely he's got to know, right? right. Like, right. he knows everything. Which I think this is just so funny. 
And it, it raises more questions than it answers. Oh, okay. Go ahead. What questions do you got? I'm full of good ones today, I guess. Um, because, okay, he might, for some reason, actually not know that there are mm. twins. He might know that only one of the twins is going to survive. He might know that only one of the twins is going to rule. He, mm. One of the twins might have some weird Muad'Diblet superpowers that makes it so he can't see one of the twins. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. So my brain just like went off on that. But I like all of this. I don't know if any of those are what's going to happen. But <laughs> you know, We're going to just have to keep reading was, and find I out. Thinking. I love that. So, of course, she doesn't say anything because obviously he knows everything and so he should know this, but yeah, keep going. So she pulls him in close and Chani just says, yes, love, this forever is real. They got up and started to get dressed for the day. Chani continues the conversation saying, if only the people knew of your love. But as she looked back, she saw that Paul's mood had changed. He almost growled back to her. You can't build politics on love. Lovers too disordered. They prefer someone who has absolute power. Too much freedom breeds chaos. How can you make despotism lovable? Johnny tries to protest as she's putting on her scarf, saying how Paul is not a despot and how his laws were just. Paul only scoffs again. Ah, laws. He moves then towards the window. He opens the blinds as if he's surveying his kingdom. But he can't see anything. He doesn't have (laughs) eyeballs. So it just looks weird. Why do you have to move the curtains in order to see through the... I just... Maybe he's doing them to seem normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, like, for the vibes. You know? Like, I think I should walk over to the window. (laughs) And then he speaks ominously out to the window. What laws? Control? Don't look too closely at law. Do and you'll find the rationalized interpretations. You'll find the precedence of convenience, which is just another word for death. So he gets really moody really fast. Yeah. Johnny crosses over to him. He could feel the warmth of Johnny beside him, and soon he found himself just listening for her breaths. Paul's mind carried a burden of um, mutilated memories. For every instant of reality, there exist countless projections, things fated never to be. He reeked of memories that glimpsed eternity. To see eternity was to be exposed to eternity's whims, oppressed by endless dimensions. The oracle's false immortality demanded retribution. Past and future became simultaneous. So, like, any quiet moment for anybody else for him is just, like, not a quiet moment. Right. He just sees everything. Yeah. Chani tries to stir him. It's it's time we're going. Uh, the council. Paul doesn't move. He only says, Aaliyah will be there to stand in my place. Bump, bump, bump. All right, ready for the next scene? This is so not Dune-like. Yeah, like, this, is, this is the weird part in this chapter where it just, like, changed. Cut. Yeah, we're cutting to Aaliyah. And it's we're in her bedroom now. Right. Right? And she wakes up for her day, 
and she's awoken to the sound of squadrons of guards swarming into the yard below her quarters. So she gets up to see what's happening, and she sees they brought Corva, the panergeist. So then she goes about her morning routine, going to the toilet, putting on her clothes, making the bed, and while doing this, she keeps going back to the window to watch Corva. I think it's the first time Frank has ever talked about anyone pooping. I mean, still suits all the time. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> it, gets, it gets processed in the thigh pads. Maybe it's the first time we talked about a toilet. <laughs> yeah, I guess well, there's not a lot of toilets. Yeah, there's that. There's always the like, because in the you have a catheter in in your still suit, so like there's got to be. He's talking about re, like how you get things get processed. I think I, just, I think that's a whole other episode where we just talk about how pooping in a still suit works. <laughs> We're going to have to have some demonstrations. That's definitely a YouTube video in the making. <laughs> We're going straight for views and clicks here. So she looks back at Corba. She's trying to remember him as the rough bearded commander of the third wave in the Battle of Arakeen. But now, looking at him, it's impossible to see who that was. Now he's dressed in multi-silk robes of various colors. He's got green gems, a purple belt, dark green and black velvet along the ridges of his garments. Yeah, he's a fancy boy. A few of Naibs have come to observe the treatment of their fellow Fremen. Aaliyah watched them, too. They'd all become hedonist, samplers of pleasures most men couldn't even imagine. All right, I want to put a pin in that. I think that's our thesis statement of the chapter. Ooh. Because when we look at like, wow. We're gonna, we can go back to like even Farouk and Altheim. We all talk about like the Fremen feel like something has changed with them. And we can talk about how the conspiracy, like the Fremen almost are their own undoing. Like getting everything they wanted getting all of the riches and the power are their undoing. Like that's what caused them to fall away. Right. And so mm-hmm. as as fall away from, I guess, order, right. Th- as we find out later, they're the one who even bought the bomb in the first place. Right. Like for reasons that aren't really that smart, like they kind of bring this on themselves. And yeah, there's, as all, all these leaders come in, it's these these men that were once hardened and could kill people at the drop of a hat for their water, who you know ran their siege with an iron fist to make sure everyone survived. These are now just hedonists who yeah. sample any pleasure and have more wealth than they know what to do with. Right. All within a generation, like twelve years. That's like right, not, not even a, a generation, like a lifetime, like. Oh. Not even, yeah, that's like a couple of years. It's like the whole, um, like everybody on the planet won the lottery and right. they didn't know <laughs> what to do with all the money and they just went <laughs> crazy and now they have a bunch more problems, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she watched the Naibs clamor on and tell Korba to protest his innocence and she observed them as they quickly took glances at the doorway every so often into the chamber. Like, when's this going to happen? She could tell they were all thinking of Muhadib and his new blind sight. 
By Fremen law, a blind man should have been abandoned in the desert, his water given up to Shai Halud. But not Muhadib. Eyeless Muhadib saw them. As Aliyah turned to leave her chamber, she saw a letter left on the table by the door. It was the latest letter from her mother. Aliyah touched the letter and thought of her mother. Whenever Aliyah thought about Jessica, she remembers the first time they met. When the spice changed them <laughs> and caused both unborn daughter and mother to become one. Sometimes this caused Aliyah to think of Paul as her son to whom she'd given birth. Which yeah. Aliyah is just in his whole other weird space of weirdness. Aliyah reviewed the letter as she walked down the ramp to the antechamber. This was also that little point where uh, we don't hear a lot from Jessica because Jessica is on Caladan. And she basically said that the uh, pilgrimage can't go to Caladan because she's like, I get it. Paul's a big deal, but why should I have my life interrupted because everyone worships him? Right. No, you can't come here, which I think is awesome. Just Jessica being Jessica, I guess. Yeah. Uh, So Aaliyah is now reviewing the letter that she got. And she's walked down to the ramp to the antechamber where her guard Amazons wait for her. So here's the letter, or at least part of it. You produce a deadly paradox. Government cannot be religious and self-assertive at the same time. Religious experience need a spontaneity, which laws inevitably suppress. You cannot govern with, without laws. Your laws eventually must replace morality, replace conscience, Replace conscience. Replace even the religion by which you think you govern. Sacred ritual must spring from praise and holy yearning, which hammer out a significant morality. Government, on the other hand, is a cultural organism, particularly attractive to doubts, questioning, and contentions. I see the day coming when ceremony must take the place of faith and symbolism replaces morality. So this is Lady Jessica's Bene Gesserit wisdom popping up here, saying how um, whatever they've set up around Muhadib, which was quote which is kind of set up by the Bene Gesserit, will uh, epically fail because what was first produced out of religious expression is now laws, yeah, and those two things can't mix together. Just doesn't work. The, yeah. Um, yeah. Ceremony. You must do things in ceremony, and you do things now, and it's a place of symbolism. You're not actually moral. You're just, you have a symbol which says you're moral. Right. And the people's right. You don't actually have faith in what's going to happen. You just show up to ceremony. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, the, the, the demise is what basically Jessica is predicting. Aaliyah entered the antechamber when the smell of spice coffee greeted her there. Four more Amazons, dressed in green, stepped in beside her. They continue to walk into the official chamber. Guards are now running around preparing everything, bringing Korba in from the yard. This chamber was one of the more pretentious meeting places. A high balcony of soft seats on one side, high windows on the other, with orange drapes pulled back to let the light in. 
At the near end of the chamber was a single, massive chair. Aaliyah moved to the chair, looking up to see a gallery filled with naibs. The guards now packed the open space beneath the gallery, and she saw Stilgar there, who moved among them. Corba was brought in and seated at a low table on the chamber floor, facing the big chair, and there were two guards that stood next to him. Stilgar approached Aaliyah as she sat down. Where is Muhadib? Aaliyah responded that she was going to preside as Reverend Mother. At this, all of the naives in the gallery began to like raise their voices in protest. Silence, she commanded. Is it not Fremen law that a Reverend Mother presides when life and death are the issue? Get him. Get him, Aaliyah. Silence gripped the room. Then she turned her attention to Korba. Korba lifted his chin, saying, I, I protest my innocence. Stilgar then reads the charges against Korba. That you dare conspire with traitors to accomplish the destruction of our lord and emperor? You met in secret with diverse enemies of the realm? And he goes on and on and on and on. Korba just shaking his head with a look of, like, pained anger. Aaliyah tries to listen, um, but bits and pieces of the formal procedure are dropping in and out of her awareness, and she pretty much thinks this whole thing is nonsense. This is all a, a legal show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to make one one interjection very quickly. You, could, you can make more than one. Um, when Aaliyah says, Stilgar, read the charges. Uh, the next phrase is, Stilgar produced a brown spice paper scroll, at which point in reading, I was like, okay, Frank, the paper didn't need to be spiced too, all right? Everything like, is spice. It's like Batman. Like, that was the moment <laughs> where it became, like, like super campy out of, out of nowhere. Like, I didn't even question it a couple paragraphs ago when it was spice coffee or spice bread or whatever. Then I was like... Stilgar produced the spice paper, and I was like, "No, you know, like the batter, <laughs> the batarang, the batmobile, the bat pencil, <laughs> the bat chair, you the know, bat like, cave. Stop it." Anyway, thought that was funny. <laughs> Finally, Stilgar finishes reading the charges. Corbo rocks forward, hands gripping his knees, and says, "Not." By word or deed have I been a traitor to my Fremen vows. I command to confront my accuser. Aaliyah thought, huh, that's fair enough. At that moment, Othheim's words to Paul went through her mind. Um, it doesn't say what Othheim's words are. It's only said that, like, Paul had said that to her. So I tried to find which words we're talking about here. So this is my best guess. Okay. It's when Othheim says, I don't like the world we're making. You know that. It's better when we were alone in the desert with only Harkonians for enemies. Yeah. I think that's like that overall gist of like, I don't like what we did. Yeah. Oh. It could be another could, one. Could it be, could Othheim's words mean the words that came from the distrance? Like he added more of a little message in there, not just the names of the... Could be. Traders or something. I don't know. That was yeah, a random yeah. thought that I had. Yeah, because that is where we're going to get all of our information. It's from right. BJS, which should we be trusting that little dwarf? I don't know. But it's another conversation. 
Aaliyah looks up at the gallery of naives and thought how any one of those men could see themselves in Corbo right now. If Corbo was innocent, this is extremely dangerous. If he's guilty, it's also dangerous. Corbo could feel this too and demanded again to see who accused him. Aaliyah just said, maybe you accuse yourself. And of course, Corbo's like, oh crap, maybe I did accuse myself. Maybe like, because Aaliyah can like see everything that's happening in the past and the future. And he's like, what? Which kind of freaks him out. Maybe you accuse yourself, Corbo. (laughs) You punk. Aaliyah continues, our enemies have fremen allies. Water traps have been destroyed. Quanats have been blasted. Plantings have been poisoned. And then another voice echoes throughout the chamber, probably from like another door. And now a worm was stolen from our desert and taken to another world. <gasps> the whole room goes silent and looks. It's Paul who steps through a doorway accompanied by Chani and they cross over to the big chair where Aaliyah is sitting. Yeah, kind of like when Kramer walks into the room in Seinfeld and the audience <laughs> applauds. Yeah. Like that's... That's the moment. Hey. Yeah, I'm here. Here I am. I've been waiting for this dramatic entrance this whole time. I foresaw it. <laughs> Literally, I thought about, like, he's at the door with Chani. They, like, get to the door, and he's like, wait. Okay. And a worm has, you know, like, he's waiting for the exact second that he's supposed to come out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that is what's happening. It's, she's about to the door, like, and he's like, no, wait for it. Yeah. Stilgar just says, my lord. But again, even Stilgar can't look at Paul because his eyes are so weird yeah. and like Stilgar's freaked out. Can't do it. The whole room's aghast. Paul then demands the crowd, "Who says I am blind?" Paul then calls out everyone in the name in the crowd by name, what they're wearing. This of course spooks everyone. Some of them even make the warding gesture against evil and point it at Paul. Who then, Paul then tells them to, they should point it at themselves because that's where the evil is coming from. Mm. Ooh. It's like when you were a kid and you're like someone pointing at you and you're like, yeah, well, yeah, four fingers pointing back at you. You guys pointing through the other fingers and pointing to you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh-huh. But like, it goes to the point of like, where is the evil coming from? Right there, hedonistic love of now money and everything else and pleasure right. really has kind of rotted them from the inside out. But yeah, he's Paul's getting a little preachy here. We could probably say Paul turns back to Corba and saying, there's guilt on your face, Corba, which is like a leading question. If I've ever heard one, this is not like a court of law. This is yeah, a court this of is Muhadib. Not... Yeah. <laughs> Not my guilt. I, I may have associated with the guilty, but no. He cuts himself off and then looks back up, frightened at the gallery. Which, if that's not suspect, uh, hello. Right. Aaliyah rose from the chair, steps down to the floor of the chamber, going right up to Korba and staring him down. Korba cowers under the burden of Aaliyah's gaze. He fidgets anxiously steals another glance upward at the gallery. Paul asks, whose eyes do you seek up there? 
Corbo blurts out, you can't see! <laughs> Paul felt a moment of pity for Corbo in this moment. He played a part in all of this. They all played a part in what's about to happen. Paul says, I don't need, I don't need eyes to see you. And then he continued to describe everything in the room. Well, okay, okay. It says, um, and he began describing Corba. Every movement, every twitch, every alarmed and pleading look at the gallery. So he's like, I don't need I don't uh I don't need eyes to see you, Corba. You're like staring at me and now you're looking over there at what's his face and now you're looking back and now you're all self conscious and you're like shaking your shoulders and now you're gonna eat <laughs> And now you're holding up three fingers. Oh, two fingers. Uh, uh uh put your hands down. Oh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. before like you're raising up your hands, you're putting your hands down, you're moving them to the left, you're like, Whoa, yeah. stop. <laughs> Desperation grew in Corba. Who who accuses me? Elias says, Othheim accuses you. But Othheim is dead. Paul says, How do you know that? Through your spy system? Oh yeah, we know about your spies. We know who bought the stone burner who brought the stone burner here from Tara Hell. Corba words out, It was it was for the defense of the Quizarot. Is that how it got into traitorous hands? Paul asked. Corbus says it was stolen from them and then tries to plead saying that like he's the voice of love for Muhadib and everybody knows that. Like I have the best intentions. Paul said that Altheim sent us his voice, which gives all names of all meeting places and all acts of treachery. Paul asks where Marik and Fash are, where are Takim and Keek. Oh, hmm, are they off-world? Maybe they flew Arrakis and left, and they have the stolen worm with them. Paul continues to say that even if Muhadib freed Korba, Shai Halud would have his water for his part in all of this. Mm-hmm. So again, Paul just calls out everybody. Yeah, which just kind of, this is just the sketchiest court ever. Paul's literally just threatening him. <laughs> it's like not Constantly. a court of law at all. Just like threats and, you know, accusation. I don't know. It, it's sketchy. The defense of the Quizarot, Paul murmured to himself. A device which either destroys a planet or produces J-rays to blind those near it. Which effect, Corba, did you conceive as a defense? is a valid question. Corba is now pleading, saying it was a curiosity, right? Only the old wads that only f- families could possess a tonic. So, you know, maybe the Quizarot should have one too. And Paul's saying how, like, the Quizarot just obeyed Corba and got the bomb. Like, this was Corba's idea to go get the bomb. They did it. They They did all the new things. They thought they had all the power. And went and got the thing done. And Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh. Corba protests to see his accuser. Stilgar says, yeah, you know what? That is is Fremen law. You are allowed to see your accuser. Aaliyah turned away. She felt drained by frustration. This whole thing was dragging into mid-morning now. I like how (laughs) she's now just upset that it's taking too long. (laughs) Like, I have my spa day at noon. Can we hurry up here? I have an appointment. Paul only says, 
Thank you still for reminding us of the law. <laughs> Stilgar nods his head as if to say, don't worry, I'll kill Corba myself. <laughs> Paul then nods and the two guardsmen next to Corba swoop him up. Paul says they're there to take Corba to the maximum security cell with no visitors except counsel. And Stilgar will be the appointed counsel. Corba shouts back as he's being carried away. Let me choose my own counsel. Paul whirls around and says, You deny the fairness and judgment of Stilgar? Corba just, uh, 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 No, my lord. Paul just barks, Take him away. And with that, Corba's gone from the room. Soon, one by one, the, na- the naives leave the gallery. The attendants come, they close the drapes, leaving a nice orange gloom in the chamber. So now there's only Aaliyah, Johnny, Stilgar, and Paul that are there. Paul says, Thank you, Still. You played your part well. Aaliyah, I'm certain, has identified the other naives who were with him. They couldn't help but give themselves away. Aaliyah's furious. You cooked this up between the two of you? (laughs) Paul said that he could have killed Corba right away, and everybody would have understood that. But the drama of this ordeal would flush out all of the ones who felt that their rights, quote-unquote, were being threatened. Paul asked Aaliyah which naives were being weird and to give Stilgar a complete list. Aaliyah swallows in a dry throat and shared a general fear of Paul in this moment. She understood how he moved among them without eyes, but it's the delicacy of how he was doing it that daunted mm-hmm. her. She sensed her person shimmering for him in a side real time whose accord with reality depended entirely on his words and actions. He held them all in the palm of his vision. I, yeah, I get the sense that he sees everything in like how Matrix, how Neo does from the Matrix and like Matrix 3, right? Where he sees the robot world and everything. It's just right. like that. That's how he sees everything. And I think she can sense that a little bit too, but it's like, this is freaky, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> Stilgar then says it's past time for Paul's morning audience and that lots of people are starting, are afraid. Paul asks if Stilgar is afraid. Only a whisper escapes Stilgar's mouth. Yes, he says. Paul reassures him there's nothing to fear from him. And that Aaliyah will take the morning audience. As Stilgar opened the great doors, a flurry of people and things all happened at once. There's pleaders and supplicants needing Muhadib's attention and counsel. Aaliyah moved to intercept all things that were happening giving Chani and Paul the time to escape through a private passage behind the big chair. Aaliyah then spoke up. I speak for my brother today. Have us have the supplicants approach one at a time. Yes, my lady, Stilgar said. I can remember a time when you wouldn't have mistaken your brother's purpose here. Aaliyah just says to Stilgar, There's been a dramatic change in you, Still. What is it? Stilgar drew, drew himself up. Kind of shocked. One changed, of course, in life, but dramatically? This was a particular view of himself he had not encountered. Right, because Stilgar has never done anything dramatically in his life. (laughs) I think he's constant drama. He's saying drama was a questionable thing. Corba had slipped away from Fremen Virtues to employ drama for the Quizzerat, 
and he would die for that. So Stilgar, I think he's questioning his own, like, wait, have I betrayed Muhadib in this? Which, right. it's a question we gotta ask. But I'm picturing, I'm picturing, like, the Stilgar from the movie. If somebody told that guy, he was like, you're being drama right now, bro. He'd be like, drama. Uh, what is drama? I don't, I don't know what is it. I've never been drama. I don't, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, like, but... where, have I, where have I been drama? I don't understand. That's, I don't know. That's, yeah. Stilgore only says, you're being perverse. Do you distrust me? The distress in his voice softened her expression, but not her tone. You know I don't distrust you. I've always agreed with my brother that once the matters were in Stilgar's hands, we could safely forget them. Then why do you say I've changed? Elias responded, You're preparing to disobey my brother. I can read it in you, and I only hope it doesn't destroy you both. The pleaders and supplicants waited for her attention, and they started approaching. She turned away from Stilgar before he could respond. His face, though, was filled with the things she'd sensed from her mother's letter, the replacement of morality and conscience with law. And then she quotes the letter, You produce a deadly paradox. Bump, bump, bump. I think the thing there that she's... I, I think the thing she, she is seeing is that, like... I don't know if Stilgar thinks he's changed, but everything has changed so dramatically around him right. that where he was moral, he's now just following the law, Muhadib's law. Yes, yes. So it's that like blurry line between like morality and lawfulness. Right. Are you, why are you doing the right thing? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like in uh, in in um, Black Panther. Okay. There's a moment where they think um, T'Challa's dead, mm-hmm. and the, the the I forget I forget her name. The like leader of the Dormelange. She's like, I'm loyal to whoever sits on that throne. I'm loyal to that throne. But it's like this awful guy that is sitting on the throne. Yeah, but like her allegiance is to this like nation state to this like political system, regardless of the morality of the situation, which is like that in itself is kind of sketchy and not cool, you know? Yeah. And that's what we've seeing. And even from the beginning of this book, like it starts in Dune, right? You see that slowly take place, but now in Messiah, it's like everything is in your face. Like, you got everything you wanted, the empire fell, and now you are empire, and it's not any better for anybody. Yep. And that's, it's like, yeah, it's just that deadly paradox they're all putting together. And there's probably only one person that could save us at this point. Um, and that's Duncan, and we'll get to see him in the next chapter. I mean, hate, hate, it's hate. Yeah. In the hate. next chapter. Uh huh. Yeah. You hate to see it. Thank you. <laughs> Boo. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Wong, you're, you've made it live. Uh, <laughs> we did quote you at the beginning of the episode. So 
you're gonna have to go back and see that. But I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I do, I don't pronounce things right, and I'm sorry. And uh, it, I just want to give everyone the permission to have fun with the story, you know. And uh, not, we're not gonna get things right. We're just gonna think about it a lot. Yeah. And start so, adding spice to the beginning of random words, <laughs> like spice paper and <laughs> spice coffee, and and what else is spicy? You can uh, get some spice merch over at spicereadingdune.com. That was spice. good. And uh, go to our spice website. And uh... stay spicy, my friends. Stay spicy. Stay spicy. <laughs> See you next chapter. <laughs>